Welcome back. I'm Jenny Fielding, and this is Techstars IoT. Today, we're speaking with our guest, Haytham Elhawari, from the company called Kinetic. Welcome, Haytham. Good afternoon, and welcome to Techstars IoT. I'm here with my esteemed guest, Haytham. Well, I'll let Haytham introduce himself. Not like I could really pronounce his last name. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. It's great to be here. So I'm Haytham El-Hawari, um, and I'm the co-founder of a company called Kinetic. Tell us what Kinetic does. <laughs> so um, Kinetic builds uh, wearable devices to reduce workplace injuries. And um, we've been working on it for about two years, and uh, we're, we're at that sweet point where we're just about to launch our first product, and so we're pretty excited. That's amazing. So... Pilots, prototypes, we're ready to go? Yep, we're ready to go. You know, if anyone ever asked me how long is it going to take to launch your first product, I would definitely not have said two years. But I think with most things hardware, you know, things take a bit longer than you thought. And so now we're at that point where we're ready, I think, to launch. We're pretty happy with the final product. And so now it's about demonstrating that we can provide value to the customers and that they're happy to pay what we're going to charge them. So you obviously are solving a problem for an end user, but that's not really your customer. So can you explain kind of how the business model works and like who you're solving this problem for? Sure. So really our, our premise is, you know, I, I think I told you before, I'm, I'm training for the marathon here in New York, and I can tell you the average runner in Central Park is way more connected than any industrial worker we've ever seen. And so we actually think that's going to change. And, and that soon, almost every worker, industrial worker, is going to be wearing some form of sensor technology. We think that's going to happen. It's going to happen probably in the next 10 to 15 years. So we really started the company thinking, can we build the software and the hardware to sort of enable this connected industrial workforce? And so... Right now, of course, the end user of that is the worker. And so we always have to you know, think, can we provide a product that gives value to the worker as well as to the paying customer, which is the company that is the employer, right? And so that can often be a challenge. And, you know, a lot of these industrial IoT products that are coming out often focus on, you know, increasing productivity. And so when we started to think about what space we wanted to be in, we wanted to make sure that the, the worker got value out of the product we were doing and so that's why we decided to focus on worker safety and so the reason we also thought that is that we think one of the big barriers to adoption of this type of technology is the worker themselves and so if they feel alienated if they feel that this is big brother watching trying to squeeze that little bit more productivity out of them uh, it's going to be a tough sell and so really worker safety is something that everyone agrees is good the worker the management and so that's sort of why we started in this space so yeah, that's the sort of one of the big big issues. So how does the product work? So I put it on my wrist and I put it on I wrap it around my waist and then what do I do? Premise of this device is that we want to be able to flag whenever a worker does um, something that puts them at risk of injury, right? And so right now we're focusing on lifting related injuries because mm-hmm. Every time we order something on Amazon, I was reading that it basically is manipulated by 25 different people before it arrives to your house, which is crazy, right? And so if you think that every, you know, 25 different people are lifting up these boxes, you have an entire workforce whose job it is, is to move material around, and they're just getting injured like crazy. So last year, I think there was almost 400,000 injuries in this space. It costs about $15 billion to U.S. companies, and so it's, it's a crazy amount of money. And so really what we're trying to do is say, okay, every time a worker does something that puts them at risk of getting injured and they're lifting, give them a buzz, <laughs> right? So it's this sort of loop where you measure if they're performing a high-risk lift and you give them a buzz. So our current prototype, actually, our current product works by attaching it onto your belt. So it sort of is like a pager that medical doctors have. 
we've really tried to make it not look like a pager, <laughs> but it sort of does. And so it's a you know it goes on your belt and uh, and it analyzes your motion. And really, what we've done is we're recreating the, the motion of your skeleton with some constraints based on the motion of your pelvis. And when we do that, we can figure out if you're doing a high risk motion. And if you are, you get a buzz. Got it. And so then as the employment company, I have a dashboard or I'm keeping track of like who's doing what and who's at risk? Yeah. So, you know, for the worker, they get feedback when they do something that is risky. For the manager, they get data about how many times workers are are performing risky activities, right? And so if you think of it as, um, you know, when we release our entire sort of suite of products, you know, you'll be able to track, okay, how many high-risk lifts, how many slips and falls are happening, how many times are they tripping over? And so by understanding that, we might be able to get to the point where we can tell managers the expected number of injuries they're going to have. And so that's really the, that's sort of very actionable data for the manager to then put effect, you know, things that can reduce the risk of injury. So why did you start this company? Oftentimes entrepreneurs start companies solving problems that they had. And I'm just wondering, is there something in your past that I should know about? Were you <laughs> were you working uh, lifting boxes at some so, point? So, you know, I, I know the lifted boxes nor any weights, as you could probably guess. But actually my mom's a nurse, and so she does a lot of patient care. And I've grown up with her busting her back all the time. Hmm. And so that was really one of the reasons that I had this problem in the back of my head. And so that's really why we got into this. That's great. So in addition to workers, at some point, this can scale into lots of other professions. Yeah. So Anyone that's really active can benefit from this. Yeah. So anyone who's doing physical motions, physical labor. So, you know, definitely healthcare. We're looking at manufacturing and mining and logistics and basically, you know, oil and gas in general. So it's got lots of applications. It's very much a hidden part of our economy, but there's just millions of workers whose job it is just to sort of do all this manual labor that keeps everything that we take for granted going. And so that, those are the people that we're focusing on right now. So you said something interesting. If you had known that it was going to take two years to get this product off the ground, <laughs> you may have thought about something else. So tell us a little bit about that journey and why it took so long. Yeah. So, you know, I think that we were relatively new to this space, right? And so understanding constraints on a product that you're going to, you know, is going to be in a factory setting, it's going to be knocked around, it's going to be, you know, we now actually have a company that's an airline company. And so they're based in, in Alaska, and they, this has to withstand like crazy temperatures in the winter. And so, you know, you're suddenly engineering a device that has to go through all these specs, right? And it's and that level of engineering is usually way more than you have to do for any consumer product. And so just understanding those constraints took a while, and then actually engineering all those constraints took a long time. And then actually, then you have to do testing, right? So we've been putting devices in ovens, we've been putting them in freezers, we've been doing all sorts of tests to, to really stress them out as much as possible. And of course, with each test, you learn something new, you've got to do, go through an iteration. So yeah, you start adding up those months and, and two years has flown by. So it's, uh, it's been definitely a journey, but I think we're sort of happy and excited that we're getting towards the end of it. Great. So you might be new to the space, but you weren't new to hardware. Tell us a little bit about the hardware group that you run and your longstanding interest in hardware. Yeah. So, you know, I've always built stuff ever since I was a kid. I've I've got a PhD in medical robots, and so I've loved building devices. Um, I worked in hospitals putting robots inside people's bodies, and I've always found that a lot of fun. Medical device is actually very, also a very rigorous field, so I had a lot of experience from there. And when I moved to New York, I was like, okay, well, where, where are all the hardware people? 
And it's really funny. Like in New York, you have all the the product design people that like really look great and are fashionable and smell nice. And then you have sort of the like the makers and the engineers that sort of you know smell bad and don't look great and and are like hidden in these you know maker spaces and doing great things. And it's very rare for them to mix. And so I started a meetup because I just wanted to know who was out there. And so you know, lots of people came out of the woodwork, and I think that happened just at the time when hardware was getting exciting again. And so as that started. Lots of people started coming to the meetup, and so basically, you know, the meetup's called the New York Hardware Meetup, and we have about four thousand people signed up. We have monthly meetings with two hundred people at them, and and you know, I used to struggle to get presenters, and now we have this list of people who are waiting to present. So it just, I think, is a good reflection of the hardware scene in New York in general,、uh, and just how much it's grown. So yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Do you think there's a reason beyond the traditional reasons of hardware getting cheaper and you know easier for young entrepreneurs to pursue? Do you think there's a reason, particularly around New York, that hardware is kind of having a renaissance? It's an interesting point because, like, you'd think on face value that New York is like the worst place to start a hardware company, right? Like, you know, real estate is super expensive, and then you know, there's there's all this、uh, competition for talent from all these big companies and banks and stuff. So, you'd think it's like a really bad place to to start a company and start a hardware company, especially. But actually, I think there's been a tradition of like product design here. I think there's been a tradition, especially in sort of Brooklyn, of a very creative class, and I think there's this. Fascination for the tangible, right? Which you know, New York is a very consumeristic city, and I think it, it's that's a reflection of this sort of fascination for physical objects. So that's been around here, and I think it's just been very latent, right? It's just been not necessarily in the mainstream. And I think with hardware becoming cheaper, people who have traditionally done it as a hobby or as sort of a, just a, a business for themselves have now thought that they can start building things on a bigger scale. And I think that's really what's happened. And so I think it's not coincidence that you know so many 3D printed companies started coming out of Brooklyn here. And and so you know I, I think that in spite of on face value it, it looking like it's a terrible place to start a hardware company, I think in fact in the tradition of New York, there's a lot of this fascination for the physical that has sort of come back out again now that this hardware thing has become fashionable. That's interesting. So as you know, I've invested in. I'm really interested in the kind of B two B and industrial space. It's very challenging for entrepreneurs to have to sell into large enterprises, and you've experienced some of that with some of your partners that you're working with. So, can you talk a little bit about some of those challenges you faced when trying to partner with or sell into large companies? Yeah, so I mean, typically, you know, when you start a hardware company, people will tell you. I think what's true in most small startups, which is you know, go for an MVP, start with a minimum type of product that you can sell and get feedback and. I think the issue when you sell to enterprises is that first that MVP is actually much more advanced than it is in the consumer world, and I think secondly they expect much more of a solution, right? And so that's really hard to combine with the capabilities of a small startup, right? And I think if you also combine that with a third element, which is they're used to paying net thirty, net sixty, right, and you need the money up front. So I think those sort of forces come together and make it very challenging to sell to an enterprise. And so, I think the really only way to get around that is to find the handful of enterprises that are willing to pioneer new technology. And I think we've been sort of lucky in that sense that all our early adopters are companies that. Have someone in there that's willing to take a risk and try new technology, and willing to be flexible with payment terms, and willing to sort of take products that aren't perfect first time around. But you know, if you don't find those early people that will help you refine your product, it, it becomes very challenging. 
So what's next for you guys? What's the trajectory right now? Yeah, so right now we're about to you know, start deploying a whole bunch of customers. To take, give you a perspective, we focus a lot on product right now. Like We're at the point where we're very happy with product, and now we need to change to sales and marketing. And so we've gotten some sales, we've found these great early adopters, but now we need to show that we can sell not only to early adopters, but also to sort of mainstream customers. And uh, that's going to have its own additional challenges and requires expertise that we don't currently have. And so right now we're going to sort of switch to from pure product to starting to ramp up with sales and marketing. And so... Um, So that'll be an interesting learning curve as well. We're excited. We're going to keep track of that. What's some of the advice that you would give people starting enterprise or or B2B type hardware companies? So I'd say a couple of things. The first is it's very easy to fabricate a problem in your mind. And, uh, And I think that enterprise world is full of extremely unsexy incremental problems that can be very lucrative. And I think understanding them extremely well so you can design a solution just for them is really important. And so spend the time it takes to really understand the problem well and also to get as much feedback from customers as you can while before building the product. So to give an example, we wanted to ask customers, hey, if, if you understood how risky your workforce is or how likely they are to get injured, would that interest you? Like, how much would you be willing to pay? And we mocked up a dashboard and we showed them it and we you know, put some data in there, some trends, and that really is what, what they responded to. We try to make, you know, it's like a Fitbit for warehouses, but they weren't really <laughs> familiar with Fitbits, and so it was really challenging. And so really it comes down to, you know, once we understood that that was the type of data they, they wanted, then it just is a question of, okay, how do you collect that data? So I'd say put in the effort at the beginning to interview and to spend as much time with customers as you can and pilot with something. You know, pilots are like everyone expects pilots to break. And that's, at least that's what we've we sort of figured out. And so if you find the right pilot partner, you can sort of get away. It just has to be good enough to do what you told them it will do. And, and that's fine. And so we piloted with a bunch of companies and got some great initial data. And it by no means was the device final broke but they just didn't realize it and so i would say like do a lot of that groundwork first to really understand the problem second i would say is get an advisor that can help you sell into enterprise (laughs) so we've got a great advisor now who was a vp of sales of kiva robotics but before him i really struggled to figure out pricing i really struggled to figure out how to not just you know if you give any leeway for them to negotiate you down with a really bad contract, they'll do it because that's what they do professionally. And so you really have to understand what elements of the contract you can play with and what you can't. And also it's really important when you when you set up initial deployments to understand exactly the objectives that they want to find, right? And so design everything around what, they want, what they're looking for to make a big deployment. So that's, uh, I'd say those are the things. So running a startup is hard. It's incredibly time consuming. And it's really intense. How do you balance that with a newborn child that you have? (laughs) (laughs) So honestly, that's one of my biggest struggles. Like this work-life balancing is is really, really hard. And so my advice is just get an amazing wife. (laughs) (laughs) Note to self. (laughs) My wife obviously helps a lot. You know, you do have to change your mentality a bit. So... You know, from the beginning, both my co-founder and I, we have kids and we we didn't want to create a culture where the norm is everyone stays till 10 p.m. at night at work. Like, it's a very flexible environment. You can go and come when you need. Like, everyone has needs that flexibility to be able to do their job well as, as a you know as a worker and as also as a parent. And so that's like one of the things we've we've done as well. 
But in general, it's really, really hard. <laughs> and I think what's happened is that I've just slept a lot less this past year. Um, <laughs> You're not the first um, guest to come on here <laughs> to tell me that. So, uh, But it is getting better. It's hard, but it, it, it's a good thing. Awesome. Well, we are so excited for Techstars IoT to have a fabulous mentor like yourself. Not only did you go through a program, a Techstars program, but you know, you're one of the real light, spots in the New York uh, hardware scene, especially on the B2B side. And I see you now in all the infographics, and I'm so mm-hmm. proud. So we're really excited to have you meet our companies in a few weeks. No, no I'm, I'm really excited too. And honestly, like, you know, I, I think I've told you this before. Like, for me, I have the impression that when, when people build consumer companies, consumer products, it's like it's a bit of a crapshoot. You don't really know what's going to stick. And, you know, you, there's certain things that are, that are great, but it's hard to guess. And I think B2B is a much more rational world, right? It's just like, well, if you, I think usually value is measured quantitatively instead of like the fuzzy things like brand and, you know, delights and all this stuff that's in the consumer world. And so I think for people who lend themselves well to being very rational around a, a selling process, around a providing value, I think B2B is something that I get very excited about. And so I'm like super thrilled to be part of this. And I honestly think that interesting stuff in the world of IoT is going to be in B2B by far. Uh, I know I don't have to convince you of that, Jenny, (laughs) but I'm definitely like super bullish about that. I think there's just so much opportunity in this space. That's great. Well, we can't wait to get you in. That's uh, Haytham El-Hawari from Kinetic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again for joining me for Techstars IoT and stay tuned for next week and our next episode.